0: You're listening to nothing but the best of internet marketing talk and you're listening to The David Conley Show. And here's your host, David Conley.
1: All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm not going to waste one minute. I'm not even going to waste two minutes. Joining me this week is a man who is a true expert of the internet marketing universe, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word. He is the president and founder of Anvil Media, and also the president and founder of Formic Media. I'm so pleased to introduce today, all the way from the USA, Kent Lewis. Kent, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, thanks. It's exciting to uh, be a part of your show.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure and a privilege. Now, t- tell me, I-, I have a couple of things I have to ask here, Captain. And, you know, I'm sorry if I'm catching you off guard with this, but the guests who come on the show, I always like to do a wee bit of research and see what they've been up to. I have to tell you, I have never seen a LinkedIn profile like yours in the history of my life. You know, <laughs> you know how you go to the recommendations bit and sometimes you'll get somebody saying, yeah, he's okay, you know, he done a good job and all of that. I looked at yours, and there's something like uh, eighty-nine recommendations, and it's just paragraph after paragraph after. I was scrolling for miles. You you almost you almost broke my computer. So how on earth did you become the most popular guy in the universe? What's the story, and how much did you pay them?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, the check is definitely in the mail with those folks. Uh, you know what's interesting is. Um, I do write and speak a bit on LinkedIn, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a power user because I don't actually use it for networking. I use it for thought leadership to answer questions on question and answers and, and participate in LinkedIn groups. But the reason I have so many recommendations is because about five years ago when LinkedIn launched, a buddy of mine who's a sales guy slash business development guy. He and I were racing to, to see who could get to the 500 connections the fastest. And I thought, uh, you know, we had a side bet. And I said also, hey, let's see who can get the most recommendations. And I thought it'd be interesting to have a recommendation for every job I've ever had, at least one or two. And so I tried to do that. I tried to round out the recommendations because I think connections is a breadth issue. You know, how many people do yep. you know well enough to say connect? And, and the recommendations are the depth. But honestly, after... I got you know 20 or 30 recommendations i kind of stopped and they just kept piling on and most of that is because of my philosophy about uh, both networking and just kind of building my career is that whole uh pay it forward methodology i don't know if you ever saw the movie play it forward with hallie Joel osmet the little kid who sees dead people in sixth sense but pay it Forward's a movie where you do something somebody, somebody does something good for you you do three oh, good yeah, things for yeah. three other people that's right well yeah. that's yeah, that's how I network, basically. That's how I built my career is when I meet people, the first question I ask beside what what's your story is, how can I help you? And what I found is I've been in a position to help people because I have a, a networking group called PDX Mindshare. I'm part of a search marketing um Consortium called SCMPDX here in Portland, yep. and then I've got the two agencies. So I'm more likely to be able to help people than they may be able to help me, and I and I enjoy and, and revel in that. And so part of that is them. One of their ways of saying thank you is to write a recommendation. I don't even ask. That's, so, that's
1: fantastic. Geez, uh, that is that is truly fun. W- whatever you're doing, it must be working because um, <laughs> clearly th- there was some genuineness because they were going on and on and on. They wouldn't stop. Geez. Yeah. anyway what's what's the story between the i see you've got anvil and formic media what's the story between the two of those
0: so uh in 2000 when the recession the small recession hit i i had been fired from an agency and realized i was fairly unemployable by others so i launched my own agency anvil media and it was really a uh a shingle i hung up a shingle so i could consult and then in uh um about I say, in 2002, I still wasn't really ready to hire people or anything, but I started another agency, and um, lo-, lo and behold, at the end of the day, in 2002, I started uh, working for myself full-time, and then 2004, I started hiring
1: employees. And right. Now, just to be clear, and I'm sorry to interrupt, just to be clear, the first agency, Anvil Media, uh, am I right in saying it was predominantly SEO back in those days, at least?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, back in uh, 2000 when I founded Anvil, it was paid search was just starting to come up uh, and be a part of the uh, the lexicon. So we were mostly SEO, and in 2002 we re- we started to ramp up our paid search, and ever since it's been a mix of organic and paid search, and that's 90 plus percent of what we do uh, at Anvil Media. And and what was interesting is I really love working with entrepreneurs and startups, so I was always trying to consult with them, but I got, took the advice from a few of my business associates, and, and they were like, you really have to move Anvil up market. So I started working with larger brands, more sophisticated services, more expensive talent. And lo and behold, I no longer could work with small business and startups. And taking a cue from the automotive world, which I love so much, I decided there's two ways to go. You can be a house of brands or a branded house. You can be a, a, um, you know, a Mercedes, or you can be a Toyota and what i found was i tried to retrofit my anvil team sure little interference here i tried to to create a small business offering and i couldn't they were just too well paid and too sophisticated for a small business so i decided in fall of 08 to launch a dedicated agency just for small business and the difference is that it's a separate team we're in the same building but i i funded it separately um the idea was i'm going to create a revenue model that that I can be profitable, but also charge less. And um, it, it was the first year was pretty rough, but I ended up being a I ended up being a Toyota model where Anvil is more of a Lexus brand, mm-hmm. and um, and and Formic is more of a Skyon brand, and we don't play in the Toyota market that are where all my competitors play. So when a lead comes through to me or to either company, we just refer based on sophistication and budget and timelines and objectives and so forth to either company. And Anvil tends to work with global enterprise companies and Formic tends to work with smaller businesses like realtors and jewelers and small retailers and so forth.
1: All right, okay, I see, I see. Um, All right, I have to say, by the way, if you hear any rattling, I'm I'm in a... I'm in Scotland here. it is the land of the black cloud, and where I am, you know there's big steel shutters outside keeping me safe and all that, but the wind is blowing them so if you hear rattling and all that interference, I'm so so sorry um we'll just pretend that it's not there uh, I, I was one of the things I was wanting to ask now this is probably a, a silly it probably is a silly question, but uh. You happen to be a guy who does pretty much, I guess, the same kind of thing I do for a living. Most of my income is, well, I do web development and SEO, uh, but most of my income comes from SEO. But over the years, I've really uh, struggled, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, to kind of come up with a system, for SEO that can be easily churned out in a sort of McDonald's fashion, you know. Uh, It's hard work, you know, writing Mm -hmm. articles and finding out who to get links from and negotiating and haggling and all of that. Have you managed at all to find the golden grail, do you think? (laughs) Or or are you like me and just kind of uh, winging it?
0: (laughs) Well, in terms of SEO, yeah, if I if we'd found the, the golden goose or the golden egg, um, I wouldn't, you know, I would probably be in, uh, would not have come back off vacation from Hawaii, to be honest. I uh, would have just stayed there. Um, but I, I think there is, you know, what's interesting is at Anvil, we have a lot more personal touch, a lot deeper, complex SEO projects. Um, You know, the fundamentals are still the same, as you know. Uh, The the three Cs is the methodology I developed years ago, content, code, and credibility, and those still apply. You have to have good content, you have to have clean code, and you have to have um, domain uh, credibility. And what's changed the most is obviously the credibility, particularly with social signals and the Panda update with freshness and so forth. Um, So what's been interesting is that at Formic, in order to pay my team, We've relied more on technology and tools and automation more so than at Anvil, where it's much more custom content and larger sites with um, you know where the technology is a much bigger issue. So than the, say the credibility, where they already have a ton of visibility with brands like Nike and so forth. So um, anyway, so I think no, it's it's still it's still a, a, a chasing your tail to a bit uh, to 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 a degree, but I do know that my advice to early stage or more simplified folks that you may be you maybe your listeners certainly not you is that google and other engines reward good marketing at the end of the day so if you're obsessed with cheating the algorithm you will get penalized sooner or later if you focus on creating compelling content regardless of how fresh uh, regardless of how fancy your date your code is on the back end or say you might not have all the links in the world you can still rank really well Good marketing or good messaging or good content, really, at the end of the day is, is what's key. So that's really been our focus, regardless of how the algorithms change from
1: time to time. I see, I see. Um, okay, and of course, over the, as you mentioned, I think over the last few years, there's kind of been a blurring with the SEO world and the social media world. Um, I must confess, I'm still not entirely sure if the social media stuff really affects the SEO stuff in a direct way. But mind you, within the last few days, I see a lot of people are uh, reporting that Google Plus is starting to appear all over the place in the rankings. So who knows? But, um you know, I know that you have a few thoughts on how you see social media panning out on, in the future. And uh, you were telling me just before we came on that you had uh, some predictions. So, geez... Maybe you can uh, lay a few of those on us just now.
0: Yeah, sure. So I, uh, I was I write an article roughly once a month for um, I Media Connection. It's yep. a it's a online publication that I've been contributing to for quite some time, and in that um, one thing that I was working on um, on my vacation was a new article that I have not published yet and may not. So this is a sneak preview, basically. Is um, kind of what's going to be happening with social because with it does affect search, to be sure, but you know w- what I was saying earlier with you before we start recording is that you know social is a small percentage of what we do at Anvil and Formic, and it's mainly in the form of um, building plans and helping implement and training and handing over. We don't believe we should rec- uh, rep- represent our client's brand out there because we can't better than they can, uh, but that said, there's certainly some influence and crossover between search and social. We are seeing those social signals um, amping up and influencing search results. So, with that said, I think that um, I'll, I'll just run through uh, eight or nine of my predictions for social in 2012 and beyond. And the first one would be uh, rapid growth of social commerce and the endorsement economy. And basically, what what's going on right now is that there's a lot of noise in S-commerce or social commerce. And um, it's going to be a reality. Uh, the question is... Uh, what shapes will it take? And I think what's most compelling is, as you know from prior research in the world of digital marketing, that recommendations and endorsements are key. And you notice anywhere from on LinkedIn where you can recommend uh, companies' uh, products or services, you can yep. re- recommend people, you've got Google+, you've got Microsoft's social platform coming out, um, you've got Facebook. Um, a lot of purchase decisions are made on recommendations and endorsements for products. I know it, it works for me. If somebody exclusively for travel, you know, we don't stay anywhere where we don't see reviews. And if we know somebody that stayed there, it carries weight over somebody we don't know. And that's the common decision process. So question is, where does uh, uh, social commerce or S-commerce play in that? And I think what you're going to see is, much better integration between brands, e-commerce sites, and the social media um, platforms where, you know, this these friends on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube have endorsed or recommend this product or have used it versus relying on the aggregate sites like ePinions or Yelp or other travel sites or other ratings and review sites. So yeah. I think re- recommendations will be the new driver in this new economy yes. and permeate, permeate throughout the customer lifecycle, not just in deciding what product to buy but what brands to stay with over time and which ones to become evangelists. Yeah,
1: actually funnily enough, it's it kind of occurred to me recently that, um, you know, there's, as you know, there's so many folks that uh, invest in time and money in things like Facebook marketing, for example. And I must confess, I'm surprised that uh, there mm. hasn't been more money changing hands. Like, for example, I was in London uh, just two weeks ago and I was in the train station and some guy behind me had his laptop out and he couldn't get online. Anyway, I luckily I had this really fantastic gadget that could get us both online wirelessly, you know, so I was eager to uh, show this thing off. So I says, hey, here you go, you know, type this in and you can surf the net, it's cool. And uh, I got chatting to the guy and it turned out that he was kind of a... I guess you could say he was a bit of a an amateur comedian and you know, he done a wee bit of DJing and whatnot. But he had over ten thousand people following him on Facebook. Now I know that you can only get I think it's five thousand people on Facebook, but he had mm-hmm. he had two accounts and, and he, he was saying, you know, he was logging on to Facebook and he's saying, Yeah, I've got ten thousand people and you know. And I was like, Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, sure. And he logged on, he was like, No, no, check it out. And he had all these thousands of people following him. But the, the strange thing is, is he wasn't making a dime from it. And as a matter of fact, when I was saying to him, geez, I was like, You've, this is the golden grail. Can you not see the potential with this? And he was just looking at me like, man, what on earth are you talking about, you know? Uh, and so I think it's kind of, I don't know if that's what you're, what you're kind of uh, hinting at when you talk about wrath of rapid growth of uh, social commerce you know is it, but people like that uh, to, to be honest I mean I felt like making them an offer on the spot and saying going to put this message out tell them to buy my stuff or something is that what you mean when you talk about that kind of thing people trading yes. actually purchasing for you know uh, paying good money for recommendations and all that kind of thing
0: uh, yeah, well well, I think that there there's that whole thing. Stop it. Uh, sorry about that. Um, there are um, a few different elements there. One is um, better integration so that I know what my network recommends when I'm looking at any different products or services. Secondarily would be that whole in the US or in the states we have this whole FTC guidelines about endorsements, product endorsements from quote unquote celebrities. So you know that's something, that could play a role in that as well is the influencers and buying endorsements. But I was just thinking more of implied or transparent endorsement by your peers, basically. Hmm.
1: Implied or transparent. So how how would that work exactly? I'm just curious.
0: Um, well, basically, on the on the paid side, you have to in the U.S. <laughs> My apologies, my kids have decided to uh, storm
1: the uh, office. That's all Um, right, that's all right. We're all friends here.
0: Yeah, so they actually... Actually, it's probably
1: uh, the most amount of listeners I've ever had at one time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the US is lighting up listening. You've gotta turn that down, dude, you're killing me. So, um, uh, basically, the, uh, the idea is that once you see what your friends, once you see what your friends are doing, then you're more likely to, to buy, so it influences. Secondarily, um, you've got the other side of that, which is um, paying celebrities, influencers in your industry, to um, endorse, and that was where you have to disclose that I am being paid to tweet, et cetera, et cetera.
1: I see, I see. Okay, okay, well, Though that's, that's fine. I guess that's already uh, kind of happening on the Twitter front, as far as I can tell.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're to your point. I think you're going to see more of that in the future yep. where they are actually moving towards uh, all platforms will have that element. Yes. Involved.
1: You know, it's funny. I, I, I know that we're only on point number one, but I have to tell you uh, I, I, I'm my mind's going off on one because as you're talking, I'm having crazy ideas here because I was thinking. Why hasn't anyone set up a big marketplace for all the people who are doing really well on social media and started doing some kind of trading platform? But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm probably already. Well here,
0: let me I'm just reserving that URL right now. Thanks for
1: the idea. <laughs> okay. Let's move quickly on. Let's move quickly on. So that was that was your first recommendation. Shall we yeah. shall we move on? Am I being too abrupt here? No, no, not at all. <laughs>
0: okay. Um I'm just uh I'm just tweeting you out right now, actually. Oh, right. Um, okay. So, um, next up would be, uh, and I think I would love your input on this, sure. but this is my thinking, is that there's going to be cleaner messaging as filtering improves. So, as you know, there are many, many social platforms and um, a flood of ridiculous, mostly useless content from friends getting colonoscopies to what they ate for breakfast on Twitter, whatever it is. Yep. So I think what you're going to find is um, rather than drinking from the fire hose, you're going to get little quiet whispers into your ear from the people that matter as you're able to create funnels and filters that uh, reduce the noise. Yep. And I th- and I think that's also part of just general aggregation um, in the industry as fewer platforms bubble to the top. Um, but that way, you will increase your probability of getting a relevant message to the desired recipient. Um, you know, kind of a clean messaging concept, but it's going to be obviously much harder for traditional marketers to get their arms around that idea of, um, if you're a fan of Seth Godin, the idea of tipping the funnel. So you don't, you don't have, you're not obsessed with the sales funnel and seeing how many leads you can shove into that funnel and that pipeline. It's more about tipping the funnel so that the people that matter, you reach the two or three people that matter and they reach everybody else um, through their own network and filters to get your message to, to those people. Rather than shouting to a million people, you talk to two or three, and they talk to five or ten, and they talk to a thousand. You get this kind of pyramid messaging effect through this improved filtering. That, that's the concept. We'll see if it becomes a reality, though.
1: Okay, okay. Well, um, ah, geez. Uh, I, I guess some of the platforms have already kind of done that in a way, um, have they not? I mean, we've got the Facebook well, like button and all of that stuff.
0: Well, I'm still saying the problem with like is that what does a like mean? You know, I'm liking a brand, but do I ever want to hear from them after they, I do a, uh, complete a certain contest or activity? I think the point is it may start more on a personal level, kind of like Google circles and Facebook has that hidden ability to do something similar, organize your people. Yep. Um, but I think you're going to find that it's more, it'll move to more of a brand level rather than a personal level. Yeah. So I, I think to me, that's kind of where it's going. Um, yeah. Uh, is, is that idea of, um, further filtering of, you know, so basically instead of having one feed from a brand, I, there's a cross cross-filtering where it's only when that brand mentions certain things so i'm not inundated with things i don't care about
1: okay basically okay that's cool that's cool i think it'd probably be good then uh, from my own selfish perspective to march on to point three and whatnot and uh, at the end of this hopefully i'll we'll have some kind of a clearer picture as to what the future may be sure
0: (laughs) well this is the one i'm i'm most intrigued by and you tell me if you agree is uh an in entire industry is blossoming around the concept of data exhaust and content curation. Mm-hmm. So um, data exhaust is a newer term that uh, I only came across a couple months ago. But it's the idea that you know we create so much data now across in our digital lifestyles that it's almost mind-boggling. So the concept here would be that there are companies that are going to create their probably existing data Uh, providers or data aggregators are going to come up with new ways to monetize that exhaust to find out uh, new ways to connect with people, to market to people, to message to people based on, you know, data that's previously been ignored or thrown away. Um, So that's the first part. The second part is that whole idea of content curation. These play together, which is... um, brands are just, and individuals are are shooting out tons of content and you know, where is that going? Is it just all ending up somewhere in Google's archives or somewhere else, um, you know, in the Wayback Engine or wherever, I think there needs to be, there will be places uh, that you will be paying a good amount of money to have people, companies, or tools that aggregate and curate that data. And then that's how it plays with the exhaust, that is data exhaust in its own way that you can actually start to organize it for both future research and uh, and current or near future understandings and adjusting of your communication uh, strategies.
1: Hmm. Jeez, well, to be straight with you, it's all a bit heavy for me. I think we should maybe have put the data on that thing that went up to Mars or something. I don't know. But I, I, I see your point, though. I mean, jeez, um, like... I've I've been doing a lot of content writing. Well, not personally. I have folks who help me out with it, and and it is kind of starting to get a bit ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, yeah. and, you know, there's there's articles on insurance that must have been spun out about three hundred times, not by <laughs> not by me, of course. You know? No. But uh, yeah, I guess something has got to happen on that front. Um, okay, I'm I'm kind of actually. I must admit, as you're going, I'm strangely enough, I'm I'm actually starting to formulate a wee opinion here, which I'll give you perhaps towards <laughs> the end of this. So I'm holding back. I'm holding back, and I'll be very glad for you to just march onwards.
0: Okay, okay. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this is kind of a, a expansion of the first. Uh, the last two is the idea of less shouting and more whispering. So. Um, You know, as people get more comfortable using the tools and brands get more uh, comfortable with integrated digital marketing and traditional marketing coming together, um, I think that the tools and the techniques will come to the point where we don't have brands or people that we don't know talking to us or talking to us in a way we don't appreciate and i think what ends up happening is you have ha- happier customers, happier prospects as a marketer and as a consumer you're happy because you're not getting nearly the waste noise that you were before so again applying these previous concepts ends up with one major benefit and i you know i i get caught up in the in the you know the what the biggest noise for me right now is daily deals i have Five different deals I get from Groupons and Living Socials and all these similar competitors, both locally and nationally, and Google and Facebook, that it's it's become kind of a joke. And I've written an article on this whole um, brand erosion through discounting um, concept, and I'm hoping that part of the shouting thing is that... That I hope, I hope that Groupon crashes and burns, to be honest. As much <laughs> as I use their deals, I don't like the mentality that consumers have. I don't like the mentality that businesses feel obligated or stuck doing these deals. So I hope it's more of a fad or it, it, it changes to a new level of understanding, mutual understanding, okay. respect <laughs> by the brand and the consumer.
1: Okay. Well... Uh, oh jeez. Uh, perhaps I'm showing off here but I was actually in the group on head office a few weeks ago so yeah. maybe, maybe I should keep my cards close to my chest but I'll tell you one thing um they, they were on the the news this week and I read apparently that they're not making any profit can you believe it um Oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. apparently they have I think it's 170,000 staff members and all of their money's going towards their staff so I dare say uh, your wish may be your command uh.
0: yeah yep. well I know that their uh, there IPO price is below the initial offering um, their current stock price is below the IPO and and it continues to fall and you know I, I just think that um, you know it's kind of a, a advanced Ponzi scheme of using new deals to pay for the old deals and it's kind of a mess um, not to say there's not inherently something there but Anyway, I digress. Yep, yep. Um, so you you know another uh, another concept I have is that you're also familiar with is just this whole mobile marketing yep. deal. And my big takeaway there, more than anything, yes, adoption continues to um, appreciate it rapidly, particularly here in the states and in Asia and you know you know Europe as well. But uh, the biggest deal that I've seen noticed is that pricing for mobile advertising is relatively flat. And I think what my prediction is that it's going to appreciate significantly in the next 12 months. And, you know, meaning there will be a a step as it were in pricing more now than say next year the year after, like increasing at a decreasing rate after 2012 is my prediction. I could be well wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking at all of the research. I'm just going on my gut as I do with almost everything is that, um, you know, there are new tools and technologies, you know, near field communication is relatively new to the US and it's going to be Im- embedded in all new smartphones. But as people become more, that'll play into social commerce uh, as well. Could, potentially. could you just
1: clarify what you mean by near field technology?
0: So near field communications or near field technology is simply that there is an antenna on the back of your phone. Um, it is not in iPhones currently, and I, I have an Android. It's not in the Android currently, but all new phones are shipping out with it. And basically, when you see a Google Places a little uh, red tack on a, on a window of a business, yeah. there's an NFC sticker in there. And that's simply, it's a bump technology. So uh, if Bluetooth is, say, however many meters distance or feet, 30 feet or whatever it is, Near Field is like... Um, three or four centimeters so what happens is this antenna activates a chip and wherever it can be on a tabletop it can be in a window sticker it, it's kind of like think qr code without having to take a picture mm-hmm. It there's data it's, it's stored and just you holding your phone up next to it activates the chip and you get that information whatever it is usually a url
1: oh yeah yeah actually funny you mentioned that just today uh, that was a very similar setup previewed on bbc click it's a Show that they do on Saturday mornings talking about technology, and can you believe it? Can you believe it? Istanbul of all places is uh, adopting this like crazy. So they're all, no kidding. yeah, they're all nicking about like restaurants and paying with their mobile phone. It's bizarre. They 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 don't need credit cards or wallets. You know, it's all. It's all very yeah, specific, you know?
0: Yeah, where, where it comes into play, there's a couple areas. One is, the main one is a Google Wallet or some sort of mobile wallet where you don't carry a wallet anymore because you just bump your, um, you know, Visa has that similar thing. It's kind of a smart card technology. You bump your card against the pay thing and doom, you're done. Yep. We have, uh, I don't know if you have Rite-Aids there, but we have Rite-Aids. They're kind of like Roots, you know, the pharmacy. And um, they, they have NFC. So you just bump your wallet and you just bought a pack of gum. Gee. So... So there are a lot of new com- companies that are coming come around that M- NFC technology and build tools and services around it. But my point is advertising rates will increase as more people use smartphones. Um, the Also, I think next year, another prediction is it's okay. the year of... An- empowerment so you know a bit about social media and everybody's like well it's good for brand awareness and you can engage people in conversation and you can do customer service that's one that i like i also like that google sorry social is the largest world's largest focus group right the amount of insights you can get from that data exhaust quote unquote is astonishing and very few brands listen closely to it enough or act on the insights but the year of empowerment takes it a step beyond that that means building apps, tools, um, uh, marketing strategies to help empower your customers to be your advocates and your evangelists so that they're doing the marketing for you. Whether it's more traditional affiliate type reward relationship or it's more of a Um, kind of gamification, you know, tell five of your friends and get a a, a four square badge, you know, that kind of thing. But empowerment is going to be the new thing. I think it'll be an empowerment economy in the next one to two years where, you know, marketers are getting smart and saying, it's so exhausting for me to go find new leads every day by myself. Why don't I just reward my customers for helping me market? But you're going to have to do it by Truly making happy customers, not just buying them. So you do have to create a compelling customer experience in order to empower them. So Apple, no problem. But if you're Walmart, that might be a problem.
1: I see. I see. Geez, well, that's major if it happens. I guess. um, I I guess time will will tell. I mean, how to actually formulate and crystallize a system like that would probably be quite a major challenge. I'd imagine. Um, yes. But yes, I guess I guess we'll see. Okay, we're off. Yeah, I, yeah. Carry on.
0: Well, I was going to say the best example of that was four years ago was the Obama mobile app built here in Portland, Oregon for Obama. Um, was a uh, a series of tools that that fans and followers of Obama that wanted him elected could um, choose from a variety of options that were empowerment options like make ten phone calls. Here's a script or. Um, mail this, mail this note, a note, print it out and mail it to 10 of your friends.
1: That Jeez, kind of thing. Did he actually have that? Yeah,
0: It. Uh, we believe, you know, I believe that it helped him win the election because he empowered the social media engaged Jeez. youth to participate in an election that normally there's very low turnout I in the youth.
1: Man, I did not know he, he actually went to those lengths. Just, that's, yeah. that's incredible. Um yeah. Wow, okay, well, uh, I guess we're moving on. I've been scribbling down as we're going here. I think we're on about 0. 0.8 or something like that. Well, maybe. I've got, I'm not, maybe I've how got, much time do we have? Uh, got. Don't worry, we have as long as you want.
0: Okay, well, I've got a couple more. Um, One that I'm really excited about, and I think this one came out of Europe, is the um, you know augmented reality. The the idea of like the Yelp mobile app, where you hold up your camera on your iPhone and you rotate around it, it shows you the reviews as you look down the street. It'll pop up and show you like this restaurant has five stars, and you know this bar has uh, a special right now. So you're using visualization overlaying the data. That's augmented reality, right? So yeah. they're using the compass and the and the camera to know what you're looking at. So what I like is this new real-time, real-world el- uh, evolution of that. And the best example of that is the VW Virtual Golf Cabrio app, where you download it and you take a picture of a um, of the this Cabrio QR code, and suddenly the ca- car is based on where your screen is pointing is driving and jumping around in your screen in the real world. It's punching through other people's billboards and, you know, doing a bunch <laughs> of crazy stuff. It's it's totally nuts. And I think that's where it's going kind of this minority report sort of thing, somewhere between retinal scan to tell you to enjoy your Guinness to um, having brands interact in the real world in a virtual way. That's a little confusing and, and, a little scary, but could be very, very cool. Yeah. Very immersive, very memorable.
1: Yes. Um, so we are going to end up basically in a world like one of those Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. Okay. Going through the airport and having a fake head of a large woman. Sure. Yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, that sounds all right. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, okay. So well, I've
0: got two more. Right. Okay. Um, one is that I'm particularly proud of that I don't see talked about much is the evolution of corporate social programs. Now you're familiar in the uh, uh, on the European side of the pond of. The social media manager, or I think we wouldn't call it a director over there because that's typically the head of a company, but whatever your social media marketing person, you know, whatever the title is most common, yep. here it's probably a manager. Yep. Well, the, the problem with that model, which is where one person controls the voice for the brand, typically a smaller company, right? But even Toyota only has four social media marketers, yep. uh, at least did a year or two ago is that I think that's ridiculous. I think it's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. I think that's like one or two people controlling your email uh, for the entire corporation. I think everybody should have a voice for the corporation based on their interests, their passions, their knowledge, uh, and what they represent for the company. And if they don't add value to the company in a way that they could reflect that on social, they may need to be redeployed somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So my new model is is not that everybody has a voice and it's total chaos. It's that the social media manager that senior social media person is in charge of the overall voice kind of like disney has brand has a brand uh person representing each of the disney characters to make sure it's a true authentic you know however it's represented that goofy is always a certain way and only does a certain thing she says, i think that's another that's,
1: thing i didn't know you tell me they've got yeah. a manager for all of those characters
0: there's one person, uh, minimally one person in charge of, of representing the identity of every one of those characters, from Mickey to Minnie to Goofy to Pluto, that looks at all marketing materials, the way they act at the Disneyland, everything. Where, yeah, where,
1: everything. where on earth do you get this information, Kent? <laughs> I have I have no idea, to be honest.
0: Uh, probably Discovery Channel. I don't remember. But the, the point is that that's, your social media manager is going to be the one responsible for um, d- devising the overall strategy, training and deploying, and certifying all relevant employees, and then staying on top of rules and regulations, new technologies and tools, ongoing training. So they are not the sole voice; they are simply the enabler. That is the way I believe social media is going to evolve. It's not much different than any form of discipline. It's just that people are. I'm a social media manager. I make eighty thousand dollars, or you know, hundred. Pounds, thousand pounds a year to be the voice of the company. I think that's ridiculous. It's limiting, it's silly, Mm -hmm. and I hope that this will change, and that's what I'm
1: predicting. Right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Respect to that. Respect to that. Um,
0: Okay, And I think that's about it, actually. Oh, um, and then just the increased accountability and transparency of corporations. Yeah, I believe that more than ever, because of, you know, in the old days, I'm a PR guy by trade, public relations, and any PR in the old days was good PR. And that still holds true to a degree. But bad social is terrible social and can ruin brands. Yep. So corporate transparency is no longer going to be optional. It's going to be required. And, you know, the, the BPs and the oil spills and all of that, you know, you can't escape the power of, of social. So you have to embrace it and use it pr- for reputation management. And, but at the end of the day, you have to do good, okay. uh, or else those companies will slowly die out that refuse to follow in line.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, have uh... Okay, well, if, if that is indeed the end of the list, I guess I have a, a, probably a couple of comments and a couple of questions. Sure. Shall I do the comments first? I think I will. Um, I, I think my first comments, and thank you so much for the, the, the list. The, the first comment I have to say is that you're clearly, and anyone listening to this will pick it up, you're clearly a guy who has put much more thought into all of this than I have uh, in fact, can you believe it? I don't think I've ever really actually thought about what the future holds for all this stuff. So that comes across and I truly confess to being somewhat out of my depth here. So that's my first comment and it's out of the way. You know, I love it when you get those little disclaimers out the way because it kind of gives you a license to say something stupid and hopefully get away with it. So, <laughs> so, so with that out of the way, here comes my second little uh, comment. I think that, um, you know, you you used the word earlier on, shout, you know, and you you were saying that people people are kind of sick of having folks shouting at them. And anyone who's ever tried any sort of Twitter marketing in particular will know all about that stuff. And I think that the, you know, whether, whether or not, everything you've said comes, to, you know, it ends up happening and that's how it all turns out. One of the things that strikes me is that um, it, it is an ever increasingly kind of overpopulated world, the social media marketing world. And to be honest with you, um, I'm kind of at a place these days where I'm kind of having second thoughts about the whole thing. Now, I, I, maybe you can give me some feedback on this. But if you take this radio show, for example, now, the, 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 this, well, maybe I'm over glorifying it by calling it a radio show, but just you wait, in the future it might be, but whatever you call this, um, up until, oh gee, about a week or two ago, I, I remember I put a a Facebook thing on it you know one of the like boxes click here and I'll tell you when we do another show and I had this kind of demeaning Facebook thing there with like you know, a handful of people clicked like you know and uh, eventually I made the decision do you know what this th- this is just demeaning me Sorry, I'm going to put something else there so I just put a wee kind of funny video there and I can tell you that since I got rid of the Facebook thing and effectively just decided, right, okay, forget Facebook, since doing that, and I'm not being cocky, but I've had floods of people signing up for my email list, you know, the Insider Club. Mm. So mm. Uh, I must admit, on, on a personal note, I'm kind of... Uh, drifting away from social media and, and maybe i need you to bring me back i don't know but i can, <laughs> i can i can also tell you for example that um over the past oh jeez over the past few months actually, I've been reading a lot of books, kind of classic books, which were written long, long ago by people like Robert Collier, who wrote books on how to write sales letters, but he was writing them in like 1910, you know, so people, um, (coughs) pardon me, people were starving to death and whatnot, and this guy figured out how to write direct mail letters, you know, I mean, real, Mm. real back to basic stuff. And I'm finding, my own experience anyway, is that some of my clients are starting to drift more back towards the kind of traditional, humble, straightforward marketing techniques. They're maybe not writing sales letters, but they're using the same kind of strategies with videos and things like that. So I actually think that there's a kind of possibly almost like an anti-social marketing thing potentially kicking off. I don't know if I'm wrong about that. Maybe, and to be straight with you, hearing your list has kind of enforced that because the one thing that's came across is that it's a very competitive, very busy, super technology world, regulations and all of that. And I must say that I think it is possibly uh, a bit of a turn off for some people. Am I being too controversial here, Kent? Oh, gee, hold on. I've lost you. I can see your lips moving, but I can't hear. Ah, sorry. You're sorry, all right. my well, bad. Welcome back. Yeah,
0: no, I, I think you're right on spot there. And I think you have every justification based on your experience. And, and I i can't say that I've, I've seen similar um, kind of a backlash to social or effective other strategies and making that, you know, augmenting social.
1: Alright, okay, okay. Well, I guess uh with my two comments out the way, I can maybe give you a couple of questions if that's okay. And uh I do forgive you know I, oh, sorry. I, I can't even talk I hope you'll forgive me for uh picking your brain like this, but you know, it's not every day I get to talk to a social marketing guru. So my first question is kind of a simple one, but I am interested in your thoughts. Do you sure. do you believe that it's good for a company to have, oh geez, to kind of spread themselves across the entire social media spectrum. So for example, when you see a website and you have a follow us on Twitter, join us on LinkedIn, here's our Facebook, here is our blog, and you see all those little icons, would you endorse that kind of thing? Or do you think that it's wiser for a business to focus on one or two areas and become really, really strong at them?
0: So in terms of how how thin should a company spread itself on social, yep. um, I believe that it really should be um, kind of revert thought in, in reverse. So we have clients that come to us and say, I need a Facebook strategy or I need to figure out Twitter. And we always start with, you know, who is your customer and what are you trying to achieve? Because then we figure out, you know, the, the end user and the objective should determine which profiles are built out and, and go deep on. And, and the objective as well. So let's say you have a predominantly older skewed audience. Well, they're more likely probably to be on LinkedIn and Facebook than Twitter or YouTube. and Or if it's predominantly young, there's still, what, five or six people using MySpace, let's say. <laughs> um, but they're definitely going to be on Facebook and more so on YouTube. Uh, than on Twitter, so you know you you look at the demographics and you build the strategies around. You go to the customer, right, or the end user, or the desired prospect, or whatever, and then you cross hatch that, uh, cross segment that with. Um, What are you trying to achieve so if it's general awareness then you probably want to hit all the profiles at a shallower level But if it's like deeper engagement and empowerment You might want to pick one or two profiles that are most relevant that have the deepest levels of engagement like Facebook possibly YouTube um, perhaps instead of Twitter. Okay. Because people tend to default. Oh, I am doing definitely have to do Facebook and oh, I'll dink around with Twitter, but I'm not doing YouTube because I just don't have the time or the bandwidth to do videos. Well, the reality of YouTube is it's the most underutilized social platform on the planet. It's second largest search engine and people use it like a search engine. In fact, here in the States... We have um, millennials and seniors that use it solely as their search engine. They don't use Bing, Yahoo, or Google. They just use YouTube to search. So what is, as a company or a brand, what is your YouTube strategy? Is it a channel with a couple lame interviews and two lame how-to videos, or are you creating premium, high-quality
1: content yeah. that will engage people? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that, because uh, personally speaking, uh, I've, I've been practically buried in, in books lately on social media marketing. To be honest, I don't even know if they're real books, just kind of Kindle ones, you know, cheap and cheerful, but uh, they're great for the self-esteem, because you can read them in about half an hour. But in any way, in any event, um, I'm kind of hedging my bets on YouTube and LinkedIn, you know, just for my own mm-hmm. selfish universe. So it's kind of reassuring to hear someone else say that. And uh, you're right. I mean, YouTube is, in particular is is really doing well on the natural search listings. There's, you know, most phrases, if you search for the most premium phrases, you'll get one or two YouTube videos and in, in, uh, the top 10 results on Google these days. So... Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. Um, I guess, sticking with Google, my last question for you was, how did you see things panning out with Google Plus? Now, bear in mind that there are some, I haven't checked it out, but there are some in the SEO circles that, who are saying that uh, apparently Google Plus content has started appearing on the search engines. Do you have any thoughts on how you see the whole Google Plus versus Facebook thing panning out at all?
0: Well, um, I've, I've written on that a little bit, but I'm honestly, I don't even use Google Plus. I created the profile. I test every social platform, but I didn't really do much with it uh, because I just, I didn't feel it. And I do see there's power in, you know, doing the collaboration through video, um, the circles, the sparks that, you know, it's interesting you know, customer service opportunities. But the biggest power that we see is not whether it's going to beat Facebook at its own game. It has to do, it's a different, plays a different game, which is the world of SEO and reputation. And that is simply, as Google integrates it with search and other Google properties, it will become an essential SEO tool to the point where Yahoo has clearly begrudgingly gives facebook a lot of trust rank but facebook pages do rank for branded terms they can rank for non-branded terms but generally speaking facebook will never outrank google at its own game with its own algorithm so i think that's really what we have to think about Mm. is 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 google plus as an seo platform and secondarily as a reputation management platform
1: yep yep well uh, uh gee i guess it's uh I guess time will tell and I dare say they're probably here to stay, uh, all of those leading players anyway, you know, as far as I yeah. can tell. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, good, good to talk to you Kent, thanks so much for yes. passing by.
0: Appreciate the time. Looking forward to uh, hearing the show and promoting it here in the States and beyond. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you so much. And it's funny. It's one of those conversations where there's so many things I'd love to have spoken to you about. I wanted desperately to talk to you about the latest goings on at Google and all of that. But maybe we can save that till next time. I don't know. Um, Yeah,
0: that sounds great. Yeah. Let's do that.
1: Okay. How did you get on incidentally? I'm just curious. Um, There was a Google update I think uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, Yes. did you get through it okay?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, again, that goes back to my comment about good marketing is that we generally saw very little impact. A few clients got short-term dings um, and they've all pretty much bounced back. You know, I have concerns over the the Google's obsession with freshness Yep. Um, is that fresh... Is basically putting what's urgent over what's important. And I think it's just a couple engineers that said, hey, let's have it scroll a certain way, you know, from most recent down, you know, both in the Twitter scrolls and the Facebook status updates. Suddenly, people, I don't think, are getting that what the best messaging is getting buried. So I think we're going to see the freshness update will will throttle back a bit as we realize that fresh content could be absolute garbage.
1: Yes, I, I agree. I think it's probably, my own opinion, I'll just quickly throw it out, and I throw it out for your disagreement before we close, or your agreement, I don't know. But I think that the main variable is probably always going to be premium links. Not having a million directory links, but I think if you can, as far as Google goes, if you can basically get a link from the cnn homepage or something like that you're probably doing okay i know that yep. i know that there's a lot of people who talk about getting links from specific industries and all of that and all of that so the car insurance company should try and get a link from websites to do with cars but i kind of think that's been a wee bit overrated as has possibly the whole fresh thing, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong, and mm. I guess we'll see. You know, it's uh, these are interesting times, I tell you.
0: Yeah, we shall see. Indeed, it's it's fascinating stuff.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much indeed again for being here. I do appreciate it, and uh, hopefully I can get you on here again and try and get some more information out of you. I, I really do appreciate it. Thanks very much.
0: It be. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Well, that was indeed Kent Lewis and my thanks go to Kent Lewis for that fun-packed interview. You know, it was a strange one, I have to tell you, man. I I, had, I could have talked all day with that guy, you know. I had so much uh, things I wanted to ask him and Uh, It really, really was a plum, pleasing pleasure and a privilege, as Les Brown would say. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you being here. Join us again at the next Grand Bash over at dcradionetwork.com. See you soon. Bye.